for those of you who don't know me well or, or, or don't know much about my family, uh, I have four kids, and of those four kids, three of them are girls, which means that I am an expert in Disney princess movies. And I am not ashamed to say that. I think it takes a real man to be able to say, not only, not only has he watched them all multiple times, but probably has many of them memorized uh, all the way through and uh, can, sing, can sing the prince's part with my daughters as they sing the princess part. So I know the, I know the movies well. Um, all of my girls had different favorite Disney princess movies. Um, my oldest daughter, Emma, her very favorite Disney princess movie was Cinderella, and we watched it over and over and over and over. And, uh, you know, when you're watching as an adult, when you're watching a movie like that or you hear a story like that and you see it that many times, you start looking at it uh, on, a, on a different level. You start looking at it maybe, maybe a little bit more existentially. And so I, I began to question some things about this movie. For, for, for example, the, the most obvious one is, was Cinderella really the only girl in the whole kingdom who wore a size 7? I mean, would any girl that, that shoe fit on her, would any girl really, was, she, was any girl going to go and be the prince just because the shoe fit, did that mean that it was in fact the girl the prince was going to marry? It just did you have to sort of suspend in your mind a little bit of reality when you watch some of these movies. But what that movie is tapping into is something that I think we all can relate to. And that is a desire to be wanted and a longing to belong somewhere. Like, like there is something out there that fits only me. There's something out there that if I could just find the perfect match, the perfect fit, I would find my place. Uh, for, for many people, it has to do, uh, much like Cinderella, it has to do with a, a partner, a spouse. You know, if I could just find the right girl that the glass slipper fit on, if I could just find the girl that fit this slipper, then, you know, everything would be like a fairy tale and, and everything would be perfect if I could just find that perfect fit. Or maybe for you, it had to do with a career, you know, maybe Maybe you, you tried some different jobs, you tried some different careers, and nothing just seemed to work for you, and so you kind of wandered from thing to thing. But somewhere in the back of your mind, somewhere deep in your heart, you knew there's a perfect fit for me out there. If I could just find the right career, if I could just find the right job. For some, maybe it had to do with school as you were looking for uh, colleges or, or, or universities, and you, you were out touring some of those, and if you could just find that, that perfect fit. And it's not just about careers, and it's not just about relationships, it's not just about college, but it's really a deeper longing that we all have to belong. A desire to know that our life matters, a desire to know that we have a purpose, and a desire to know that we can make a difference. I really believe that that is common to the human condition. I believe that has been true of humans from the very beginning. It continues to be true of us today. doesn't matter uh, what your background is, what your story is, what culture you're from. That is just something that is hardwired into us. And I believe it was hardwired into us by our creator for a purpose. And I think you see it in the Gospels, in the lives of the people who followed after Jesus. Because Jesus would go around and invite people to come and follow me. He would say, come, follow me. And guess what? They did. They did. He tapped into something inside of them that was looking for something. Now, we started a new series last week that we're calling In His Steps. And, and basically, this is a pretty basic series about the Christian faith. So if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're a part of this. But if you are a Christian, don't underestimate the importance of talking about this. What does it really mean to follow 
Jesus. We say that all the time. We sing those words in multiple hymns and multiple traditions to follow after Jesus. But what does that invitation really mean? What did it mean to the people who heard it first? And what does it mean to us 2,000 years later who are hearing it now? Now last week as we kicked off this series, we just kind of opened with this basic idea that following Jesus isn't a set of boxes to check, but a set of footprints to follow. Following Jesus isn't a set of boxes to check. In other words, it's not just about saying, hey, I believe all of these things. Check, 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 check. Or I participate in all these religious activities. Check, 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 check. I go to church. I take communion. I was baptized. Whatever it is, it's not just checking off boxes. But in fact, at its very basic, it is following after Jesus. Going where Jesus goes, doing what Jesus does, having the mind of Christ, saying the things Jesus would say, it is becoming like him. That's what it means. And we even said that in the Bible, Jesus never invited anybody to be a Christian. The Gospels never call anyone a Christian. The Apostle Paul never called anybody a Christian. They were called disciples. And a disciple is someone who basically is in an apprentice relationship with their master somebody they are learning from they're doing the things that they see their master doing that wasn't just an invitation extended to disciples 2,000 years ago but it's one that has been extended to every generation since the apostle Peter said this in first Peter 2 21 for to you for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow where in his steps that we are invited to follow after Jesus. So this morning, I want us to look at one of the folks who heard this invitation and responded. And I want us to look at this particular story. It's going to be a familiar story to almost everybody in the room today. But I want us to look at it in just a little bit of a different perspective this morning as we consider what is our purpose? What is, that, what is it that will satisfy that deep desire inside of us to fit in? Because I think the answer, I know the answer, is found in the pages of the scripture. And so this morning, when you leave today, if you came and you said, boy, I sure would like to know what it is that God wants me to do. If I could just get that telegram, if I could just get that, that email, that divine email, then I would know and I would do exactly what God called me to do. Well, today's your day. Because I think, I'm gonna, I think we're going to discover it together as we look at this passage. So if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. As we look at a particular person who heard Jesus' call to come and follow me, he's a man named Matthew. Now, he also goes in the Bible by the name Levi. And Matthew was one of the 12 who followed after Jesus. And Matthew wrote the first book of the New Testament, the the Gospel of Matthew. But to really understand his story, we have to look in the Gospel of Luke. The the, the Gospel writer Luke told the story of Matthew uh, pretty well. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27... Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, he, meaning Jesus, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Okay, so here we see Jesus' favorite way to call the disciples and, and we see it happening. We, we saw it happen last week, that Jesus just walks up to somebody. We don't have a, a lot of other information. We just hear the invitation. Jesus says, follow me. Now, we know that this fellow was a tax collector, which is a pretty big deal. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal maybe to us. But in this culture, a tax collector would have been a traitor. 
Uh, They would have been working for the enemy. The Roman Empire had invaded uh, Israel. They'd invaded Palestine. They ran everything. They imposed their taxes. And and anybody who would collect taxes for Rome would would have been the worst kind of, uh, of person. And so Levi, he had his Jewish name. We know he's Jewish. He's basically abandoned his heritage, his cultural, religious heritage. He's working for the enemy. He's collecting taxes. It's a very lucrative business. He's probably making a lot of money. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And like Andrew and Peter and James and John, Matthew heard the invitation that Jesus said, and he left everything. Last week we looked at those guys, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and we saw how they were working for their fathers. They were doing their father's fishing business, going to take over probably, the way it worked from generation to generation. Jesus came along and said, follow me, and they left their nets, and they followed after Jesus. Now Jesus comes to Matthew, and he says, follow me, and Matthew does the very same thing. And I think what we see in the story of these five particular men in in particular, that Jesus taps into something that's inside of them that was already saying there has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than running my father's business. There has to be more to life than just making more money. There has to be more than this. How many of us have ever thought that? That there has to be more to life than this. This can't be all I was meant to do. So Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. Why did these men get up and follow Jesus? Because there was already something stirring inside of their hearts. And I would argue it's the same thing that has stirred inside of your heart from time to time as well. There's a longing. There's a longing to, to know that we belong, that there's a perfect fit out there. So verse 29, and Levi, or Matthew, made him a great feast, Jesus, in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So, so what does Matthew do? He immediately invites Jesus and says, hey Jesus, why don't you come to my house and I'm going to invite all my friends to come and they're going to meet you there. Now all of Matthew's friends uh, would have been people like Matthew. Other sinners and other tax collectors. Because remember, Matthew would have been rejected from everybody who was in Jewish culture. Everybody who was in the community would have already rejected Matthew completely. So the only kind of people who are going to hang out with Matthew are the people who are like Matthew. Other rejects. Because rejects tend to hang out together. It's Remember cafeteria in high school and middle school? People who are like one another, they sit, the cheerleaders sit together, the, 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 the athletes sit together, and the rest of us, we just kind of had to do the best we could and find our way to a table where we'd be welcomed in. Matthew was at that table at the cafeteria, so he's there with all these other folks. And what's interesting to me about this is there's another story that's told in the Gospels about a fellow named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was also a tax collector. And, and Zacchaeus was so hungry for something more in his life that Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man... And a wee little man was he. <laughs> climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. He went to extraordinary measures to satisfy some t- kind of longing inside of him. And Zacchaeus' response to Jesus was the same as Matthew's response to Jesus. When he heard the invitation, he responded, and they both invited Jesus into their homes where we know for sure for Matthew, and we're pretty sure for Zacchaeus, that there would have been a lot of other people like them in their house. Now, one of the reasons this is so important is because it talks about the power of the church when it's willing to go outside the walls of the building. Remember, the church is not the building. The church is not the meeting, the, the program that meets here. You are the church. 
which means that when you are willing to be the church in your homes, among your own community of people, your own community of friends, students at high school, uh, retirees in your civic organizations, uh, those of you who are working, the, the people who work with you, when you are willing to be the church in those environments, it has tremendous power to reach people. It has tremendous power to influence other people's life. That's what Matthew was willing to do. He immediately invited the group of people that he was already friends with into his house where Jesus would be. And one of the things I think this tells us, if we're looking for our purpose, for what it is that God wants from us and what God wants for us, is to begin where you are. To begin following Jesus right where you are. So many people think that they will begin to follow Jesus when they're at a different place, when they're at a different stage of life, when they have a different job, when they go to a different school, when they're out of school, uh, when they have a different set of friends, uh, when they finish college, when they get a real job, well, when I get married, well, when we have kids, well, when the kids get older, well, when the kids leave, well, when we retire, and what happens? We keep kicking the can down the road, don't we? We keep, we keep setting these marks for us that says, well, when I get to this part of my life, then I'll be free to be able to engage fully in the Christ life. And guess what? You will get to the end of your life and you will have missed entirely what it is that God has for you. Because all along the way, God was inviting you. Christ was inviting you. Follow me. Follow me in your workplace. Follow me in your school. Follow me in your community where you live now. Follow me with your preschoolers. Follow me with your preschoolers' friends. Be where you are. When Jesus called you to follow him, he knew right where you were when he called you. And he called you from that place for a purpose. And if you are looking for your purpose somewhere other than where you are, you will continue to look for it and you will never find it. Because your purpose that God has for you is at the very place that God called you. Matthew understood that. Zacchaeus understood that. And so they were willing to follow after Jesus. Now look what happened in verse 30. Luke 5 verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying... Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so they're up in arms. Jesus is supposed to be, he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's, he, he's claiming to be this holy and righteous person. And yet he's constantly hanging out with these people who have bad reputations. Why is he doing that? And Jesus answered them. Notice, the Pharisees didn't say it to Jesus. They said it to his disciples, but Jesus answered them. Because you can't talk behind Jesus' back. Just so you know, you can't, you can't talk behind Jesus' back. So Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And here's what he says. This is Jesus' purpose. Jesus was clear about his purpose. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Man, Jesus got it. He understood and fully embraced the mission that God had for him, the plan and the purpose that God had set before him. He said it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus understood his mission. It wasn't for people who thought they were well. It was for the people who were willing to admit that they were sick. I've come to minister to them. And Jesus was willing to embrace it. And when Jesus called people to follow him, when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, when Jesus called Andrew and James and John and Peter and all the others to follow him, he was calling them, he was inviting them to join him in his mission. 
I find it interesting that as much as we talk about finding your purpose and understanding your design and all those things which are important in good conversations, but when we talk about those things, if you look into the Gospels and you look into the lives of the early disciples, you never find the disciples asking Jesus what their purpose is. Never. You, you never read of any of them asking, hmm, Jesus, if I could just understand what your will for my life is. What is it that you want me to do? See, they knew their purpose. Because, because if they were going to follow Jesus, his purpose had to become their purpose. Because that's what it means to follow somebody. That you do what they do. Their purpose becomes, their, their purpose becomes your purpose. So Matthew understood that. That's why I think he was so willing, willing to immediately invite all of his sinning and tax-collecting friends over for a party where Jesus would be the guest of honor. Because Matthew understood, Jesus is calling me to follow him, and I'm going to start following him right where I am among all my sinning and tax-collecting friends. And so, listen, why is that important for us? And why is the story of Matthew so important for us today? Because this is a question we ask. This is a question we've all asked. I've asked this question. What is my purpose? And, and I get this a lot. I have people who talk to me, and, and we have important and significant conversations about what is it that God wants me to do. Well, are you ready? I'm going to tell you. All of you, right now. I'm going to tell you. And you might want to write this down. Because it's important. Because I've asked this question myself. And I was never given this simple or direct of an answer. But I think after, after praying about this and looking at this for several weeks, I think I know the answer. Simply put, here it is. Jesus wants you to follow him. Jesus wants you to follow him. Now, now, before you just check out and you think that's too simplistic, let me, just, let me just talk about this for just a few minutes with you and just tune in and listen to this because I understand this, this, is, this is way too simple of an answer for such a complex question. But until we understand, I think, this basic idea, we will never find the purpose and the design that God has for our life because doing all, always follows being. Doing always follows being. God is more interested in who you are becoming than in what you want to do for him. God, is, God cares far more about the, your character, your integrity, the person that you are becoming on the inside when nobody else is watching. God is far more interested in forming you into the image of his son Jesus Christ than in anything you can dream up in your mind that you might want to accomplish for him, doing always follows being. I was having a conversation this morning uh, with Jim Gandy. Jim's chairman of our deacons at Southside, and uh, Jim works for an agency here in town where they do a lot with medical equipment and delivering it. And, and many of you or your family members have benefited from uh, the, the the ministry that Jim has through his job, because Jim is a disciple who follows Jesus at work, and the doing follows the being. And suddenly the work that he is able to do is leveraged for the kingdom because he just follows Jesus into work. There are students who go into their classrooms, who go into their campuses, and they go in to be the best student they know how to be, and they just follow Jesus into the classroom. There are teachers, many of you who are here, who work in schools, public and private. You follow Jesus into your public school. And you will be the minister and serve the purpose that God has intended for you to be and to serve. 
as you follow Jesus into those places. But listen, if you are not willing to follow Jesus, you can never hope to fulfill any purpose he has for you. Because Jesus is going to show you what it is he wants you to do on the way as you are following him. For so many of us, we want to know, well, God, if you will tell me what it is you want me to do, then I will take it into consideration and decide if I'm going to follow you. It never works that way. It never works that way. Because Jesus is requiring, even demanding, total and full surrender from you before he will ever give you the next step that you're to take. If you do not trust your life to Christ in the small things, how can he ever call upon you for the big things? We have to follow him. God will do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to craft you into the man, into the woman that he has called you to be in order to accomplish the purpose that he has for you. You look back through the Bible and we read the stories of the men and women in the Bible and we see them from the perspective of hindsight. Everything is already done. And so we think, well, Moses understood his purpose. It was to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. I wonder if Moses understood his purpose while he was working for his father-in-law for 40 years tending sheep in the desert. I don't think he did. We think about King David, that King David was the king of Israel. He was called to be the king. He was anointed as a teenager, spent 20 years running away from a king, hiding in caves. I wonder if David understood what his purpose was. What did David do? What did Moses do? They followed God each and every step of the way and it was through the course of their journey that God did in them and through them his most significant work. Joseph spent 13 years in prison and in captivity and slavery and in prison for a crime he didn't even commit. I wonder if Joseph really felt like he was fulfilling God's purpose for his life in the prison cell. And yet when you look back on it, you realize that God was doing a deep work inside of Joseph, inside of Moses, inside of David, and he's doing a work inside of you. If you are faithful to follow him each step of the way, he will be faithful to reveal his purpose for your life. See, when we look back on these lives, we understand it. But I'm convinced that they were men and women just like us who, did, who couldn't see it from the vantage point of being involved in it in real time. And I think that's our story too. See, they were all works in progress whom God was using as he was doing his deep work inside of them. And as you commit your life to following Jesus, God will do a deep work through you as he's doing a work inside of you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's masterpiece. I love that word. The Greek word there is actually the word poema. It's where we get our English word poem from. So it's a legitimate translation to say, we are God's poem. Now think about, those of you who who maybe enjoy poetry, think about the thought that goes into crafting a poem. The the effort, how you you craft every phrase, every syllable. Think about the fact that that's how God looks at you. That you are God's masterpiece. That he's been crafting you and shaping you. And what is he doing? He's doing it in Christ Jesus unto good works for the good works that he's planned for us long ago. See, God's expressing himself to the world through you. Now, look, I want you to look at it with me the way the King James says it, because I love this translation in the King James for this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath ordained that we should, say it with me, walk in them. That we walk in them. How do we walk in the good works that God prepared us to do in advance? I think the answer is you follow Jesus. 
And as you're following Jesus, you're going to walk in the good works that he has prepared for you to do. But if you're not willing to walk in his steps, you'll miss the mission. You'll miss the purpose he's crafted you for. See, see, here's the big idea today. Ministry is the byproduct of a life lived in his steps. Ministry is a byproduct of a life lived in his steps. That's what we're called to do. We're called to follow in the steps of Jesus, and in so doing, we'll accomplish our mission. Now, as a church, one of our core values, one of the things that we believe is that every person who's a member of this church, and if you're not a member, you're off the hook, but if you're here and you're a member, every one of us have been called to be ministers. Now, this involves, this involves two parts. It involves your part as, as a church member, and it also involves the church as an organization. So let me talk just for a minute about the church as an organization. You see, for the church, in order to create an opportunity for people to fully engage in the ministry and the purpose that God has called them to accomplish, we as a church have to avoid something and we have to embrace something. The thing that we have to avoid is this. We have to avoid enabling passive disciples. What do I mean by that? We have to avoid the trap that we would rely on hired hands in place of holy hands. Because here's, here's the temptation. We could hire people to do things that the church is called to do. But that's not what the Bible says we're to do. The Bible says that, in fact, people who are called to work in the church, their one job, my one job as the pastor, is to equip the saints for the ministry of the church. That's it. It is not my job to visit people in the hospital, although I love to visit people in the hospital. It's not my job to, to even stand up here and preach every sermon, although I enjoy standing up and using the gifts that God's given me. But that's not, according to the Bible, my job or the job of any person in the staff. The people who, who we call and set apart to work on a staff have one job. That's to equip the saints for the ministry of the church. And when we don't do that, when instead we as church members say, well, we should hire somebody to work with our students, because I sure don't want to do it. We should hire somebody to take care of our preschoolers because I sure don't want to do it. You know what we're doing? We're enabling passive disciples. And we are not accomplishing the purpose that God has called us to accomplish as a church. Because that's what we're supposed to do as a church. The other thing that we as a church, as an organization, have to avoid is expecting too little. Expecting too little. And I hear this all the time. I mean, I read books. You pay me to read books that you don't have to read, okay? But part of it, that's part of my job. I read all these books about ministry and, and all these things about church and all that. I read all that stuff so that you don't have to read it. But let me tell you one of the things that I read all the time. I read constantly how, how as pastors and ministers and leaders in the church, we have to make it easier for church members. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Because I think by making it easier and easier and easier, we are robbing you of an opportunity to be challenged by Christ to become more like him in the work of the ministry. And I think as a church, we have to expect more. It is, listen, the, st the statistics say that today, less than 20%, some people say it's closer to 15, less than 15% of the people involved in a church on a regular basis give more than 80% of the money. And we just have to learn to accept that. And I say, no, we don't. No, we don't. Fewer than 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. And we just got to figure out how to make that happen. No, we don't. At Southside, we actually have 80% of the people who are involved in ministry at, at the church. 80%. And part of that is because we don't, we expect people to engage in the discipleship process. And the discipleship process includes getting engaged in ministry that God has called you and equipped you and prepared you to do. So that's the church's part. Let me talk just briefly about your part, the disciples' part. 
Come to church with the expectation of being equipped for ministry rather than coming to consume ministry. There's a big difference. See, when I come to church as a consumer, it's all about me. Did you meet my needs today? Was I happy? Was I satisfied? Was I fulfilled? That's a consumer mentality. If I come to be equipped, I come expecting to be challenged. I come expecting to be uncomfortable. That's what I come expecting to do. It's impossible to build a God-honoring church with a congregation full of consumers. Listen to what the author Howard Snyder says in his book, Liberating the Church. Church members expect doctors to treat us, not to train us to treat others. We expect lawyers to give us expert advice, not to admit us to the secret fraternity of those who understand how the legal system works. Likewise, we expect pastors to serve us, not to build us and train us to be ministers. See, I, when I go to, I don't want my doctor, I'm one, I don't, some of you like to get lots of information from your doctor. I don't want to know anything. I just, just tell me what I need to do and what I need to take. You know, I don't want you to teach me how to, how to, how to treat somebody else when I recognize these symptoms. But we can't have that same attitude when we come to church. Because it, the church is different. The church has a different purpose. It is to equip us and train us all to become ministers. So let me just give you a couple practical things as we conclude this morning, Peter, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Use them well to serve one another. Um, I want to invite you this week to go to our website, ssbc.org. And if you will click on the screen that says in his steps, there is an online spiritual inventory there. I, I want to challenge you to go take that. Uh, it's got a lot of questions on it. It'll take you maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes to, to go through it all if you do it thoughtfully, faster if you just do it without thinking. But if you, if you go through that survey, it will tell you, uh, based on your answers, what it, what it thinks your spiritual gifts are. Now, I don't think that you can find your spiritual gifts just by taking an online survey, but it's a great way to start the conversation. So take the results from that and go to other people that you know who are believers. Go back to your small group and have a conversation and tell people, this is what that test said my spiritual gifts are and ask the people who know you if they agree with that or not and through those conversations and through your own passions and your own past experiences come to understand how has God wired you how has God designed you how have your unique experiences prepared you to minister to other people because God is calling you like Matthew God is calling you not from where you hope to be someday but he's calling you from right where you are right now today Listen to what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Let me tell you what that means. Let me tell you what that verse means. That basically means that, listen, when you were at your lowest, whatever that was, when you were most desperate, when you were going through the divorce, when you were having trouble with teenage children, when you lost a child, when you lost a parent, when you were battling an addiction, at that moment, you were ministered to with some grace by God, somehow in some form. God did that for you in that moment so that then you could turn around and minister to others who find themselves in the same situation that you were in with the same grace that you have received. 
See, we've got people sitting all around here today who themselves have been through recovery. What do they do as part of their recovery? They reach out to other people who are entering into recovery from addictions and uh, alcohol, drugs. They, they go to them and they minister to them with the same grace that they themselves have received. For some of you who have been through difficult times, difficult, maybe you found yourself unemployed, you found yourself in a financial crisis, God wants to use that experience. He wants to use your tax booth experience to minister in you and through you right where you are. But you have to be willing to do something. You have to be willing to follow in his steps. You have to be willing to hear the call of Jesus to say, hey, hey, you who have just gone through an incredibly difficult tragedy, you who have just overcome a terrible addiction, you who have just gone through a season of long unemployment, you who, you who, are, who have just found yourself getting through the parenting years and, and you survived and your kids survived, hey, I'm calling you right where you are. Follow me. To this you have been called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Father, we thank you today for this incredible invitation that you have extended to us, to your church, down through the ages and across the centuries. And Lord, I thank you for the longing that you place. Lord, even today there are, there are men and women who are here who are struggling, they're wrestling, Lord, with what it is they're supposed to do, their purpose. And Father, I just pray today that the simple words of Jesus to come and follow him would, would speak to their heart. Father, in maybe a way that it hasn't spoken to them since the time they very first heard your call and responded and said, yeah, I want to believe that. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. But maybe in a new way today to recognize that, that you are calling all of us to serve you right where we are with the gifts and the passions and the experiences and even the heartaches and heartbreaks that you've given us. So Lord, help us to follow in your steps. And Father, for those who are here today, who have yet to respond to that very first invitation, Lord, I pray that like Matthew, like Peter, like James, like John, like Andrew, they would hear that simple two-word invitation, follow me, and that today they might commit their hearts and lives to you. And Father, we pray as a church that we would not settle for less, but we would, we would embrace the call of Jesus to extend the invitation to take up our cross and to follow after him to everyone who would, that we might be a church that would follow after you in this community and around the world to make a difference for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.